It's hard to be humble. <laughs> it's hard to be humble, and it's not because we don't have more than enough faults to merit humility, but because there's something inside us that doesn't naturally go to the place of humility. The more we try to be humble, non-judgmental, non-hypocritical, the more we take pride in that. So as soon as we say, I sure am humble, we're not. Jesus gave us a wonderful parable, but we mostly miss this lesson. We've heard more than once the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, it used to be called the publican, a religious leader and a tax collector. And just like with many images that Jesus uses in his parables, we might find it difficult to relate to those kinds of characters that were so common in first century Hebrew culture. In today's world, we might think of the Pharisee as a person who thinks to himself something like this. I'm better than those people, those other people who are riffraff and detestable and contemptible. I'm better than the prostitutes that cruise down Route 98 on Saturday night, better than those poor people who sit on the benches in Durham all day long, those poor souls who sleep in a homeless shelter, those addicts strung out on booze and drugs, folks who sell their EBT cards to buy cigarettes, people who never darken the doors of a church, bar hoppers, marriage losers, Muslims, Jews, gays, lesbians, transvestites, people who spent months or years in jail. You know, those detestable people whom I can't call detestable in public because it's not politically correct. But on the other hand, for the tax collector standing far off at a distance, it could be just as easily a prostitute from Route 98 someone who spends his days sitting on a bench in Durham, a homeless person in a shelter, a criminal with a jail record, an addict, someone who never darkens the door of a church. Such people said to themselves, God, please be merciful to me. I'm such a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So the self-satisfied Pharisee went home after his prayers feeling justified and good in his own eyes. The other poor soul was still down on his knees, still praying, still pleading with God for mercy towards a sinful life. Jesus said, the person who exalts himself will be humbled. The person who humbles himself will be exalted. Now we know how Jesus assessed those two men. The Pharisee didn't really pray while the publican or tax collector did. And even more important, it really shows the internal blindness of the Pharisee. It's, it's not possible that you don't see that. Everyone hearing the story knows about his lack of humility. But what's most challenging is how we react to the story we can always instantly see the difference between pride and genuine humility. We see how arrogant it is for the Pharisee to say, thank God I'm not like that man. But then about 98% of us hearing the story 
probably thinking to ourselves, thank God I'm not like that Pharisee. <laughs> and in doing that, we are him, exactly like him. We connect with our own sense of virtue, and because of that, we begin to immediately judge others. Our prayer is, in fact, usually the opposite of the tax collector's prayer. We're not praying out of sinfulness, but we're praying rather, oh, I thank you, God, that I'm not as blind to self-judgment as so many other people are. It's hard to be the tax collector. It's hard because our humility comes back on itself and makes us proud and judgmental. So what's the answer? How do we break the vicious circle? Well, there's only one way, and the tax collector is the person who's to show us that way. He prays out of his own sinfulness, for real. He's a sinner, and he honestly admits it. Now, we admit we have weaknesses, and sometimes we do sin, but then, like the Pharisee, we're immediately thankful that we don't have weaknesses and sins like the other people. Mostly we think this way. I have my faults, but I'm not as ignorant and self-serving as that colleague of mine. Sure, I'm glad I'm not as narcissistic as my boss. And I might be a bit of a mess, but thank God I don't have Henry's faults. Pride is forever sneaking around our defenses and keeping that genuine humility at bay. So sin is the thing we have a lot of trouble acknowledging. The late Rachel Held Evans, uh, author of the book Searching for Sunday, spoke about the stark language of confession. She likened confession to the way people in 12-step groups introduce themselves. For example, in AA. Hi, my name is Susan, and I'm an alcoholic. In the same way these introductions equalize the people at the meeting, Evan says the prayers of confession equalize worshipers in church. She said these prayers remind us that we all move through the world in the same state, broken and beloved, and that we're all in the need of healing and grace. They embolden us to confess to one another not just our sins, but also our fears, our doubts, our questions, our injuries, and our pain. They give us permission to start telling one another the truth and to believe that this strange way of living is the only way to set one another free. But Evans noted, and too much criticism, our churches sometimes feel more like country clubs than AA meetings, especially when we mumble through the confession from memory or just exchange pleasantries with each other. And this is how she says it. Exchanging pleasantries with fellow worshipers while mingling beneath a cross upon which hangs a beaten, nearly naked man suffering publicly on our behalf hard words. But she said she suspects this habit comes from the impulse that told her she should lose a few pounds before joining the Y so that she wouldn't be embarrassed in front of the people who were fit. The same impulse, she said, that kept my mother from hiring a housekeeper 
because she felt compelled to clean the bathroom before the merry maids arrived, so as not to expose to the world the abomination of a hair-clogged shower drain. The truth is, we think the church is for people living in the after picture. We think church is for the healthy, says Evans, even though Jesus told us time and again he came to minister to the sick. We think church is for good people, not resurrected people. And I might add, resurrected people are sinners. When I was a teenager in confirmation class, we were taught that sin is a separation from God. Sin was behavior, thoughts, actions, anything that was contrary to what God wanted us to be. Now that's all well and good and pretty general for a 15-year-old who occasionally yelled back at her mother or sneaked out with a friend and a thermos of whiskey from their parents' liquor cabinet. But the part about sin which struck me in my confirmation class was that we all have, they told us, a besetting sin, a besetting sin. And it was explained that we all have some particular sin that we're really vulnerable to. We have an inclination toward it, and we struggle a lot with it. Think Hebrews chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. The sin which doth so easily beset us. So confession. My besetting sin is expressed when I'm driving in my car. Now, if you watched from outside my car, you would say, she's a careful and courteous driver. If instead you had a camera or recording device inside the car, you might be surprised. Somehow, when I'm in the car driving, I think I'm the best driver around. And my job is to assess your faults. When I first began to recognize that angry, vocal, and gestural outbursts could possibly be the sign of something deeper than just annoyance, I thought to myself, well, I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> we had to drive like we are way more important than anyone else in the world. And by the way, all the rest of the world was idiots. <laughs> then as I grew spiritually, I moved on. Oh, it's only in the car. I'm such a nice person otherwise. What possible interest could God have in my behavior in the car? But in my prayer life, I was discovering that God did have an interest in my behavior in the car when no one was watching or listening. God had an interest in all of me, and frankly, that entitled and impatient attitude had to bleed into other places of my life. So I've been working on it. It's not going great, but it's a process. <laughs> I've replaced one gesture with another. This is my new gesture. <laughs> and I practice grace on the road. I'll still sometimes shout at you in the confines of my car with the windows closed, if you tailgate or fail to use your indicator. 
Okay, so you might think that's a pretty silly example. Maybe it is, but maybe not. Maybe it says more about, I have to be first. I have to be right. I have to be most important, smartest. When we're truly standing inside our own sinfulness, like the tax collector, then we judge no one, not even ourselves. As a priest who's been hearing confessions for some 25 years, I could say without any hesitation that people are at their very best when they're honestly confessing their own shortcomings. When we're generally standing inside that recognition of our own sin, we don't judge anyone. In that space, we never think, thank God I don't have Henry's fault. We know that our own are enough. Our prayer becomes honest, and according to Jesus, it's then that it's heard in heaven. Amen. <laughs>